Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to podcast number 200. Yay! 200's a lot. At least for me, it feels like it's a lot. I guess people have more out there. But that's feeling really meaningful, especially today when I take a trip down memory lane. Memory lane, uh, amongst packing and other things, it's amazing how much time packing personal belongings can take when you're looking through everything and when there is stuff to look through. There definitely is. I'm one of those people that would say I'm pretty simple in material items And I think that's true, but I have a lot, a lot of memorabilia. Sorry, you can kind of hear the wind chimes here today. Oh, well, I'll just leave them. It's a beautiful, windy, hot day here in Sedona. Anyway, I started packing up a couple of cabinets I have. And man, I guess I didn't think that much was in there, but I'm not even done. So tons and tons of journals, like tons, (laughs) but cool stuff, you know, all of my pregnancy journals. So, you know, at least 11 pregnancy journals, baby books, um, my first pregnancy in particular, like a special journal and even the pregnancy test saved in there from almost 19 years ago. Tons of photos, like actual real photos, not those taken on your phone. I have to get a photo box for those. I'm sure they still exist somewhere. And a lot of midwifery notebooks from my student days, going at conferences, meeting people, taking notes, um, so much good stuff. So this is going to be my podcast 200 today, sharing some of the notes from some of the awesome experiences I've had learning along the way and experiences that are feeling even more valuable right now, just because when's the last time you really met anyone in person, right? Um, I haven't been to an in-person conference in a long time. So I'm enjoying looking through and I'm going to share some of that stuff with you. But first, a moving update. And I don't know that this will be the final moving update because we actually have to pack up and move. But we have finally figured out where we're going and how that's probably going to look. So drum roll, please. The exciting news for us is we will be moving to Kentucky. Why Kentucky, you ask? Pretty much everybody I've told has asked me that question. And at first, I tried to explain a little bit um, how I got from, you know, the point of us having nowhere to go, needing to leave Sedona for sure to this point where we have actually bought a house in Kentucky on some land 
with the opportunity for even more land. So let's see, I think the house has four acres and we have the opportunity, I think, to buy another four acres kind of in the back of the house, which is really exciting. Eight acres sounds amazing to me, more than we've ever had um, and perfect for probably all the things we want to do eventually. So why Kentucky? Million dollar question. Uh, I don't have an answer that's really neat and tidy. If you've been following along on these podcasts, many of you have, you kind of know the story. Like it was just a spirit led thing. Um, again, not that there wasn't frustration or doubt or fear along the way, but I really just went with it. I just went with it and tried not to force things and tried to stay open to absolutely wherever we were supposed to be. And it was a wild ride. It really was wild. Like, you know, the, it, it took, let's see, it took a couple of months to figure it out. And then once we narrowed it down to Kentucky, it took exactly, and this is really cool, I think, um, it took exactly 33 days from the day we decided that's what we were going to do. And we had support from the universe and friends in doing that to closing on this house yesterday. So cool. 33 days, which I love that number. Um, Rumi, as many of you know, was born at 3.33 a.m., so it feels very meaningful to me. Like that is a sign that we are going in the right direction. And I love that. It feels just so right. So 33 days from the decision kind of being made for us in a lot of ways by the universe to actually having it done. Fantastic. And that's actually so quick. But yeah, the months prior, as many of you know, were filled with a roller coaster ride. Um, it kind of feels like we moved a bunch of places in that time in our heads, or at least for me, it does. So we had, let's see, so many places appear on the map. Um, Georgia, I think it started off with and it and everything felt so guided, even though it didn't work out. So all of these opportunities that we were met with felt like they were going to work. And then they didn't. And that was frustrating. But every time it happened, Jason would say, I know we're getting closer. And I'm somebody that just ugh, likes things done, you know, likes things done more quickly. I'm not that patient in a lot of ways. So every time it felt like something could work or would work and it didn't. Yeah, it was demoralizing. So Georgia, um, there were a couple of opportunities here that we were really excited about just because they were here, not because they were great, honestly. And I think I've shared a message I kept getting was don't compromise. Don't compromise. Just stay strong. Keep the faith that you will find just the right thing. And um, this is a really cool thing. And I'm going to share probably some of this in my witchery class, uh, Witchery 101, which is we or I, I wrote it, but we all contributed. I wrote a giant list of all of the qualities, all the characteristics, all of the things we wanted in a house and property. And we did this many months ago. It's still on our fridge, but I looked at it just the other day and checked off all of the things that um, we had gotten with this house and this land. And nearly everything was met. And I think we had, I don't know, 20 to 30 criteria on this list. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. <coughs> Excuse me. 
sitting in the sun. Um, yeah, so we had that list and it's amazing when you focus and uh, you also just have, I think, luck on your side. I definitely do think that's part of it. Luck and manifestation and visualization and just guidance. Like this was such a blessed decision. So I'm keeping that in mind too, because, you know, I don't expect it. Well, maybe I should, I should expect it to be as easy as it has been, but there might be bumps along the road. It might be a totally new thing to settle into this community um, of which we know nothing about, by the way. So I'm going to keep this all in mind that this has been a blessed journey. And like I said, <clears throat> almost all of the criteria on the list were met. I can only think of a couple things we had on there. And the list was really out there in a sense, like it included absolutely everything that any of us could think of. So one thing that wasn't met was a pool. So that's fine. But this house does not have a pool. Another thing that wasn't met, hmm, I think no carpeting. I despise carpeting. And this house does have carpeting upstairs, but I'm going to rip it out. Probably going to rip it out before we even get there. So that's pretty good on a list of almost 30 things to have all of them come to be with this amazing journey of manifesting this new house. So Kentucky, that's how it happened. I don't have too much more to say except that's how it happened. And I'm super excited because honest to goodness, and this might sound weird, I didn't realize that we'd have family close by. Uh, when we picked this town, we picked this house, it was just sort of random. It wasn't based on too much. And so I'm really thrilled to find out that my parents will be about four hours from us. And long story short with them, they had come here for half the year to be with us. And then since we weren't staying, they kind of didn't quite know what they were going to do, except go back to Ohio where they live half the year. So now they're just going to live there the whole year. And other bonus, my sister, who's also in Ohio, will also be about four hours. And I'm super thrilled about that. I haven't lived near her in so long. And she has seven children. I have 10. The cousins don't really know each other. And it's something that has been sad for both of us, but we couldn't figure out how to remedy it. She didn't want it wasn't even want like they couldn't come here and we really weren't in a place to leave Sedona before now so we're going to have family somewhat close by I think that's going to be so fun for my kids so I think it will be amazing for them if we hop in the car for a couple of hours maybe meet halfway sometimes uh, with my sister and her kids maybe at a park is what I'm thinking but there's going to be so much opportunity and I can think of a couple of my kids in particular that are just going to be so thrilled to have cousins and, you know, could really just get dropped off and spend the week there or vice versa. I will happily uh, take any of her children for an extended stay. So that feels really special. Um, it's kind of making me teary almost because it wasn't something that was planned. It just serendipitously worked out. So that's exciting. And then also my good friend, Nathan, who many of you know, uh, is also in Kentucky. And that was a huge reason for choosing this place, even though we won't be super close to him and his wife, Stephanie, and little daughter, Penny. 
but we will be close enough. We'll be close enough to go once in a while to hang out with them or vice versa, or I don't know what, maybe go on some, some trips or, you know, hikes together. So I'm really excited about that. And I don't know what that means as far as birth work. Um, maybe we'll get to hang out doing that together. I really don't know, but he's like a brother to me and yeah, I just feel really blessed to have friends like that in my life and friends that we'll be closer to. So yay for that. Um, side note, we also, Nathan and I recorded four podcasts yesterday. So the one about the midwife and the OB is the name of that. If you haven't checked it out, we've done a couple of episodes, I think two, and now we have six that will be kind of uh, released over the next little bit, but super, um, yeah, super fun project. And just, you know, these relationships that come into your life, um, that seem random. I always am so astonished by, because they're not, of course they're not, we have a soul circle and that's my, my way of living. Those are my beliefs, but I really, really do believe them, whether it's our family and it takes all kinds of shapes, um, our soul family, right? So our, our siblings, our parents, we asked, we asked to be born into that again, probably again. And then our close friends um, can almost be a closer soul circle is my understanding. And that's kind of my experience too. Like our immediate family we're born into. Yes, we chose that. But then in our adult lives, um, you know, we come in contact with all these other people that feel really special. And we know we've met them before. We know we've had other lifetimes with them. And I just love that, you know, Margot obviously is one of those people too. Um, you know, we're just, we're just doing this, uh, another time we've been, we've been through it. And so I can think of a handful of people like that. I've never been someone that wanted or had a lot of friends, like super social, but the ones I do have are so close and special to me. And like I said, I know we've spent many lifetimes together. So that move, this move, not that move, this move is feeling just really aligned in that way. And along the lines of like soul, family, I don't know who this will call in. So if you're out there, you live in Kentucky. So where we'll be exactly just so people can know if they're sort of in the area. Um, about, I think it's about 40 minutes south of Lexington, which is one of the main cities. And I think we're going to love the location because we have that city and then Louisville isn't that far either. And then even a little farther north than Louisville um, and kind of off to the side is Cincinnati, which is where my mom grew up. My mom was born and raised there. My parents actually and my sister all went to the University of Cincinnati. So um, anyway, it's feeling really, really good and in this odd way, just perfect in like, it was meant to be, you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Like I haven't ever been to this town. I haven't ever been to this exact part of Kentucky. I've been um, in other parts, kind of closer to Indiana. We used to live in Indiana. So the geography there isn't entirely new to us, but we haven't been this far south. So it is new and I don't quite know what it will bring but it just feels really aligned. So if you are in that area, of course, I would love to hear from you. And I'm sure I'll kind of ask more publicly as we get there and get settled. 
I don't know. I don't know what my role in birth will be. We'll see. You know, if it's the kind of thing where people are like, oh, yeah, we needed a midwife here, then who knows? Maybe I'll be back doing that sooner than later. And if it's not, and it's something that is non-existent, I really have no idea, then that's a whole other path that maybe I'll choose to take or not. But regardless, regardless of if you're pregnant, that doesn't matter to me. If you're just a cool person that lives in that area or close by, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Maybe you live in Tennessee. I think we'll be about two hours from Knoxville. And that's also a place I've lived. I used to play in the Knoxville Symphony. Isn't that funny? I love Knoxville, though. I really did. And that was at a way different time in life. But I loved how outdoorsy and beautiful it was. And I'm really hoping that this will be similar Um, I think so. I think there'll be lots of opportunity for outdoor stuff and hiking and and water stuff, you know, way more water than exists here in Arizona. So all in all, I am thrilled. The kids are sort of excited. All of them are not super excited at the moment. And I'm just having to breathe. You know, they're allowed to feel what they want to feel. They're allowed to be sad. I'm going to be sad. Every single day I've been already feeling sad, to be honest, looking at the red rocks. And I just said to Jason, you know, you have to remind me when I do get sad, when we're there, because I will, like I know myself and I'll be nostalgic. And, you know, until you really find your place, even in your own house, until it feels comfortable to you, I think it's just normal to miss things. And I've moved so many times that I know my patterns Um, So I asked him, you know, hey, just remind me, just remind me that, yes, Sedona is beautiful, but no, it it is not sustainable anymore for us. And we're not even enjoying, you know, the actual town or city anymore. So just remind me because it's like pregnancy. Uh, If you don't have someone to remind you, then it was all roses, right? It was all perfect and beautiful and you don't remember the struggles. You don't remember the fears. You don't remember the bad parts. You just remember the nice parts, which is a very nice thing that our memories do for us. But I want to be real about it. And I think on the side of being real, another thing I've been telling myself and I want to share with the kids is that it's going to take time and it will be probably uncomfortable. And, you know, we could set the intention for it not to be, but I don't want to be naive either. It's strange going to a new place. It's strange. It's strange when you don't know how to get to a grocery store and you don't know anyone. And right now in the world, I do have some reservations about, (sighs) I hope we find the people, you know, there doesn't have to be a ton of them. Uh, There might be, but I hope we find the people. I hope we find the people that we resonate with. I hope we find people that get us and we get them, especially in this age of mask wearing and all this nonsense. I am intimidated by that because I'm not quite sure, although I think being outside of a major city is a step in the right direction as far as that goes. So I don't know. There might be some bumps along the way. There might be some uncomfortableness. I'm ready for it as much as I can be. And I want to take the long view. Buying a house is not a small thing for us. Uh, We've only bought a house one other time. And that was a long time ago. So it's been a while, but I consider it a serious thing. I consider it a serious purchase. And I want to put heart and energy and work into this house and the land. It's not super fancy. You know, it's not, it is like fine to move into, 
but there's certainly things we want to do to just make it more livable, to make it nicer. So I'm looking at the big picture here. I'm not thinking that this is just a short stop along the way right now. Of course, anything could happen, but I want to take the long view. So by that, I mean, it'll be normal to take some time to settle in. Could be six months, could be a year, could be a couple of years before we really feel like, okay, we're here, you know, we love it. We understand uh, because that's the other thing. People are just different and Sedona is so unique and I don't mean it's better. It's not. It's it's just what it is. And it can honestly be sort of aggravating at times, just kind of the way people can be here and the transientness. There's also really beautiful things, of course, about the way people are here, but it's very unique. And every time I leave here, it feels like I'm going into the real world. There's something about Sedona that has this bubble around it. So there's so many ways that this is going to be an adventure and a learning experience. And I'm just really excited to get there again to like dig into working on my house, uh, making the land what we want, growing food, maybe having chickens and just enjoying it. And birth work, I am getting excited about little by little, but I'm not ready to dive in. I'm not ready to start probably attending births uh, this summer or anything crazy like that. And like I said, I don't know. So if you have any clue about what it's like there in Kentucky, Southern Kentucky, uh, give me an email, you know, introduce yourself if I don't know you. And I'd love to hear from you what it's like to live there, what the birth scene is like, or anything you want to share. Because I really do think our global community here, our, you know, our community here in the U.S. even um, is where it's at. You know, I think so much of this has even happened through the connections that we have and not even people doing stuff like you all doing anything, but again, just this holding of space, this good vibration, so many loving emails over the last bunch of months, wishing us the best and, you know, sending us real estate listings or sending us ideas and all appreciated, all appreciated. And every single one I looked at and I thought about, and it was just a matter of, gut instincts for most of them, you know, like yes or no. And we just went, we just went with it. We just went where we were led. So that's where we're being led. I'm excited about what that will mean. I feel like I do know a lot of people already, not there in that immediate area, but uh, midwife friends in the Midwest, midwife friends in the South in general. So I feel like the possibility of people um, coming together, you know, for me feels more because Arizona is kind of locked, especially Sedona. It's hard to get to. So, um, you know, not that we couldn't get in the car, but I think where we're going just feels more expansive with the energy and, and all of the surrounding states. It's like so much more opportunity for exploring, um, even outside of birth. So can't wait to start hearing from people, uh, if they want to share anything and connect and we'll be there if all goes to plan in another month. So um, end of June for us in Kentucky, we're going to pack up and, you know, tie up all the loose ends here. We have a lot after all of these years, all the things to do, as you can imagine. And so that's that. Okay, that was a super long update. Sorry, if that got loud. I was checking the time. I wanted to share just some of the cool teachings that I have in notebooks here from some of the experts that are very well known to all of us. So I, you know, went to a bunch of conferences and kept notes. That was probably back in the day when people weren't really keeping notes on a computer. 
I think for a lot of these conferences, I probably had a baby on my lap, so writing was easier. And I'm just going to share what I opened to. Um, let me do a tiny disclaimer just so, you know, nobody feels weird or, or uh, upset by this. I hope they don't. And the couple of people that I have teachings of, um, you know, these are my notes, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. These are my notes. These are, this is largely my interpretation, probably, of whatever was said. And it was years ago. So maybe don't take it too seriously or maybe take it with a grain of salt. If you hear something that I share and it's attributed to somebody, check your facts. I can't um, vouch for the absolute perfection and accuracy of everything I'm going to share with you. And any of these people could have totally changed their minds about any of the stuff that they said this many years ago. So I'm sharing more from a historical perspective, a trip down memory lane. And I'm sure, I mean, these are brilliant people. So I'm sure some of the stuff I share will feel just timeless and will remind us all of why we love learning about birth. That's my hope. So let's see what we got here. Cool. So <laughs> this is a long time ago, folks. Uh, Midwifery Today Conference in 2006. Isn't that a long time ago? Woo! Jeez, Louise. So I had my baby Tallulah with me. She's almost 15. And I remember this conference really well, obviously. Um, actually, I don't think she was born yet. Never mind. No, she was not born yet. I was probably just about to get pregnant with her, but she was not born yet. And so I remember this conference because I had to ask for time off from my apprenticeship. And I remember the midwife saying, okay, sure. Yeah, going to a conference would be good. So I'll give you the time off. And long story short, a couple of the births that I was on call for still hadn't happened when I left and they were well supposed to happen by then. So I went to this conference not knowing what I would miss. And I think I even got back to one of them still being due. So the woman, if I'm recalling correctly, went a complete month over the due date that we had. So that's what I remember. And this was in Pennsylvania somewhere. And it was really fun. So I'm looking at um, Robbie Davis Floyd was there. I have some notes from her. Uh, Ina May was there. Um, Elizabeth Davis, who wrote Heart and Hands, was there. And I'm going to read some of her notes because they're sticking out to me as something I should read. I'm just going to kind of like blab. So whatever I'm saying is what is written down. I won't talk outside of that, maybe until I'm done. Let birth be wild. What is wild? Wild has its integrity without being tamed. Untamed women giving untamed birth. In pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, women must release positive and negative emotions. Believe in the truth that women are their potency. This is not our cultural belief. Some of this doesn't make sense exactly the way I wrote it, but we've lost the truth of wildness. So midwifery is not just catching babies. We must guard our culture. Hmm. So a little 
paragraph here, she must have been talking about the blood mysteries. So I have a podcast somewhere on the blood mysteries. But the life cycle, so menarch, birth, and menopause. This is something that was always held by midwives. Super cool. We experience, and I have a list here, heightened sensitivity, deep feelings of loss and sadness, rage. We don't feel we can express ourselves when we're changing. Fear, depression, visionary experiences come with a hormone shift. A sense of place in the larger community. Society keeps women tame. So how can we bring wildness back to birth? One, help a woman know herself. Know yourself first. Self-love. Two, give all women praise and love. Run the oxytocin, not adrenaline. The primary energy in mind and body. Three, let her be free. No judgment. Birth is her mystery. And we love to be proved wrong as midwives. And a quote, a woman divided against herself cannot be free. And that's so cool, isn't it? It's amazing how timeless this is. And in a lot of ways, there's nothing new really ever about what we all talk about. It just kind of comes in waves, right? Uh, let's see. Naoli Vinever had another session. She's a beautiful midwife as well, if you don't know, a Mexican midwife. And she has some kind of online program that I'm in, actually, that I very rarely remember to watch because it's all online. So she talked about sensitivity in midwifery. So her experience as a child, um, a cat, the cat would birth in bed with her and she felt immense gratitude and thankfulness for that trust. And a quote here, again, I don't know how accurate these are, but to know more is to use my senses. To know more is not to prepare. No formulas and guidebooks. Each woman is her own world. The world between you and her is unique. How can you create sensitivity and freedom? No watch. Forget about your family. Mm, that's a good tip. It uh, gives freedom to the woman, gives yourself freedom to not let in outside forces and if you don't, I suppose, um, it will affect the woman and it will alter her experience. No formula, but you must be open and not afraid. Willing to be vulnerable, it's always a risk. As a lover would. So asking yourself, what does this woman need? Being creative. That's cool. Beautiful. Let's see what else is something that is easy enough to share here. Some of it is uh, more clinical, as you would imagine. So looks like there was a shoulder dystocia lecture by Gail Hart and Ina Mae together, which is so cool because Gail Hart is a friend nowadays, and that's uh, very amazing. In fact, I have another notebook here filled with Gail Hart-isms from some live teaching with her many years ago. water birth. Sorry, I'm sure you're all wishing I would share all of this stuff because it really is so cool. It's like I should scan some of it in. Okay, this this is cool because Marsden Wagner is no longer alive. So if you don't know who he is, uh, you can look him up, but he was a dude and I think he was an obstetrician 
but I believe he worked uh, for the World Health Organization and just was an ally of midwives. So he did a session, again, this is in 2006, Barriers to Liberty in Birth. So it looks like he talked about um, the incredible waste we have in healthcare that we spend two times as much per birth as the UK. He talked then, this long ago, about risk and low risk and high risk and why we emphasize the negative. He gave an analogy or metaphor here. He says, um, you couldn't choose your GP to operate on a brain tumor. It's okay for an OB to not be a choice for low-risk women. There are things a doctor won't do. You can't choose whatever you want. A high-risk woman is still a woman. An OB can manage problems, and the midwife can manage the woman and the normal pregnancy. So he went on to give some statistics on midwifery in different places, and there's a short list here. Barriers to liberty in birth. General assumption that OBs are best attendants for birth and pregnancy. Lack of awareness of the midwife's skills and competence. Physician resistance competition, lack of respect for midwives, and natural childbirth is a money loser for U.S. hospitals. So he went on to some more politics. That's so cool. May you be resting in peace, Marsden Wagner. What a cool guy. Michelle O'Dont. Oh, I remember this session for sure. Uh, Michelle O'Dont is a French obstetrician. If you've ever heard him speak, he's got a really beautiful French accent, but can be kind of hard to understand if you're not used to it. And I remember sitting at this session kind of like struggling to understand some of the things, but I, I took notes. So I certainly understood a lot about it. Um, he talked about trust and the fetal ejection reflex. Let's, let's read those notes. Fetal ejection reflex. Always learn something new, right? Um, let's see, drugs disturb mammals during birth. And then in studies, those mammals don't take care of their babies, monkeys, etc. Uh, same as the monkeys that have had C-sections. Hormonal balance and the release of oxytocin is disturbed. The peak of oxytocin is released in a vaginal birth when mom smells the amniotic fluid on her baby dependent on environmental factors. Yeah, and just just him urging us to not focus on the individual necessarily, but looking at the entire civilization. So it's not one baby necessarily born by C-section, but three to four generations of every baby being born that way that creates the problem. He said C-sections are not a big problem short term, but we must train ourselves to think long term. Oh man, this is so good. This might turn out to be a longer podcast because there's just so much brilliance from these people that we are all indebted to, frankly. He talked more about the effects of mother-baby separation at birth um, the belief that colostrum was bad for the baby, I guess at some point, and cited in African cultures 
that they often would wait for the shaman to bless the baby. And oxytocin is needed to bond with the baby, release the placenta. Conditions are needed for baby to find the breast in the first hour. And nobody believed him, I guess, when he put this out in 1977 in a paper. Postpartum bleeding is almost always interference with mother and baby. Brilliant. We must master the energies of love. So cool. Oh, man. Maybe I'll take some more time to look over a lot of this. But so many other great sessions. Um, Caregiver Fear in Labor and Birth. Linda McHale. Uh, looks like Brewer Diet stuff. Natural Remedies. BV. Hemorrhage. All kinds of really cool stuff. So... Yay. Thank you. Thank you, Midwifery Today 2006. Such brilliance. I'm going to put this into this folder here. You never know. Hmm. What other things to look through? Okay. Well, here's another trip down memory lane uh, conference from 2012. I think it was the Trust Birth Conference, if I recall. And that was in, that was in Nashville. I was in Nashville and I was eight months pregnant with True. Margot was my trusty sidekick and student at the time. And we went to this conference together and it was great. It was such a beautiful time. I got to meet Lisa Barrett, who it just pains me that people don't know her name anymore. If you do, you must be part of the old crowd (laughs) or older crowd. But if you don't, Lisa Barrett is not anymore a midwife, so um, she's thriving, but no longer in birth work, but such a beautiful human and was such a brilliant midwife. And of all the people that I've looked up to in my life as a midwife, she is definitely in the top three. Um, We just had a really awesome connection as well. She's Australian, or actually, I take it back. She lives in Australia. She's not Australian. She's Welsh. And she's lived in Australia for some time and uh, worked as a registered midwife for some amount of time and then became essentially a radical renegade midwife and mainly attended breech births at home until the system kind of took her down and Yeah, it's super sad when that happens. I'm so blessed to have gotten the opportunity to learn from her several times in person. So she was flown all the way here from Australia. I am never joking when I tell her that I will fly her here again from Australia anytime she's ready to talk about birth again or wants to talk about birth again because there really is nothing like in person. And she is such a brilliant teacher. So Back before all of this stuff happened uh, legally for her, she had a great website. She had all kinds of breech birth videos. Um, This was before, you know, recent times where now that's more commonplace and Ricks and David are doing their teachings and Stu and all that great stuff is happening. To me, Lisa was the first. Lisa was doing breech births and the education was there and she was sharing it well before other people were. So, um, yeah, I, I feel sad that she's not in birth anymore, but I want to share some of your, uh, some of her wisdom with you. 
So she did, let's see, a variations of normal class. So kind of all of the out-of-the-box things that could be variations of normal. And she was just so wise. So she started off the lecture in this way. How do you feel about it? Not what's normal, but what is it? You're always working through fear all the time. Clients must know the risks and be confident. They must be responsible and they must understand the risks of death with anything, really. So she was one of the first mentors that I've ever had birthwise that just openly talked about death and the realities of that in normal birth. And as a student, that was a little intimidating, but I think wiser words were never spoken, really. Um, she talked about preterm births, so 35 weeks and 33 weeks. Uh, she was talking about all babies, really, taking 24 hours to have their own oxytocin receptors stimulated. And that happens by spending that first 24 hours on the mom's chest. So even with preterm babies, um, doing that intensive skin to skin, that kangaroo care. Breast milk poop can take weeks to switch over when babies are preterm. Uh, she also talked about transports and saying, have, have no fear. Go in with no fear and be pleasant. Where are my notes? One thing she said years ago that stuck with me, you must have 100% confidence in every woman's ability to give birth until proven otherwise. And that's something that I have tried to live. So if I don't feel that, if someone comes along and I feel not so confident in their ability, then I don't want to take them as a client. It's not fair to them. And that was from her teachings. Here's another just tidbit of brilliance. She was talking about women that are almost at term, so 38 weeks-ish. She said they should sparkle. They should sparkle. They should look great. They should feel great. It should just be amazing to be supporting them. There's no need to do anything unless she wants. So she did talk about breech birth. She said it's common in families and most breaches have no problem. And when there is something to blame, it's the practitioner or the pelvis. And I don't, side note, I don't think she agreed with that. I was think she was just saying that that's often where the blame gets put, you know, when it doesn't work out. Uh, there is a higher mortality rate. And if the client is not sure, she should not be at home with a breech baby. Lots of pre-labor and false labor. Actual labor should progress normally. Question it if more than 12 to 18 hours. If someone doesn't want a physiological breech birth, then they should opt for C-section. And she went into how they rotate. And I remember her doing this like with her own body, which was really fun and cute. Um, just like the breech dance, she called it, you know, where... Uh, the rotations happen in a certain way so that we could learn them. And that's very memorable. 
The completely hands off the breach comes from timing, intuition, and knowledge. You decide when you step in. And at that moment, there is no right answer. You just do it. But she did add that with breach, um, it is best to have a hands-off approach. Don't touch mom or baby at all. Touching the baby in any way may stimulate the moral reflex and deflex the head. And I do have this in quotes, so hopefully I'm quoting correctly. Um, if you're going to be hands-on, just go to the fucking hospital. And that, of course, was said in a beautiful Welsh accent. <laughs> Uh, she said, would prefer land birth for breach, needs traction for rotations, and wants gravity. So that's not everybody, of course. People that prefer breaches to be born in water. I don't know that I'm one of them either, but I don't have nearly as much experience as she does or had. She did also kind of specialize in twins. And... The longest she ever went between twins being born, and I remember her telling this story, uh, was 49 hours. So completely quit, completely, and, you know, two days went by, right? So that's crazy. And she was not crazy. Lisa is not crazy. She was not crazy. She is so smart and was such, again, a skilled amazing midwife and had some serious training. So I'm all for radical renegade midwives that don't necessarily have a degree behind them. Right. But she did. She did. And she just eventually left the system and did really great work until uh, I guess it was time for her to do something else. So super grateful to her for those notes. Um, I think of her a lot and I do have sort of limited contact with her but I have very good memories. So looks like Karen Strange was at this one. And I think Karen's teachings are still so uh, well up, well out in the world. Talked all about things. Um, Rachel Reed was there. So this was kind of before a lot of these folks were more well known, which is really fun. Uh, Katie Bowman was there. So that was also before she was well known. These are all people to look up. If you aren't familiar with their teachings, uh, looks like Lisa Barrett did another session on placentas. Gloria LeMay was there. She talked about advanced maternal age. Man, that was such a great conference. And, you know, kudos to Carla Hartley. Um, also, rest in peace, Carla, for kick-ass conference, bringing together so many brilliant people and making it reasonable and accessible for all of us at that time to learn that way, you know, I'm really missing live events right now. I mean, at this moment, I think I've acclimated to so much virtual stuff. I've kind of forgotten what that is like, but it really was so beautiful. Let's see. I'll share a couple more tidbits before we go. So Jack Newman, I got to meet Jack Newman back in August of 2011. He did a conference of some sort down in Phoenix. And I remember sitting in this giant ballroom with just tons of people. I'll share some of the, some of the things. Quote, it's all about the birth. When birth is left alone, breastfeeding just happens. Let's see what this one says. 
Um, he talked about the carpet of antibodies. When a baby chokes or spits up, antibodies line the throat, esophagus. So it's okay to aspirate breast milk. And he talked about the futility of numbers. So we use bottle feeding as the norm. Um, the fact that no one knows what a normal newborn blood sugar is, and he called it instead of hypoglycemia, this is great, it's in quotes, hysteroglycemia. Testing for that is a horrible idea, according to him, and a complete lie that big babies are at risk for hypoglycemia, unless the mom was diabetic. And that, I feel like, is a part of my, my thinking as well, and maybe it's due to him, but I have never worried about hypoglycemia at, at home. Even with huge babies, I've never had that be an issue at all. And it doesn't really even make sense if the baby is with the mom and nursing, right? He said, this was one of his teachings that I do remember. Um, the baby may not latch before day three. It's okay. Make sure the milk supply gets developed and have patience. So start hand expressing. He recommended some herbs. Um, I think that's really interesting. You know, that might be a whole podcast of its own at some point. I don't know that I have that much to say about it, but I think there is um, a hyper concern around babies latching right away. And on one hand, most do if the birth, as he said, is sort of uneventful and normal and mom and baby don't get separated. But there are babies, and I've had a couple of them in my practice that despite a very beautiful normal birth they do not latch and they don't latch for three days and I have had some that haven't latched at all surprisingly and I don't quite understand that and these are women that you know had all the help and all the consults and all the specialists so I don't I don't think they were lacking um, information or support it's just whatever that does sometimes happen so of course we don't really want that to happen we want a baby to ultimately breastfeed but how hyper do we get within those three days? So just, I guess, uh, sit with his advice. Baby may not latch before day three, and it's okay. Have patience. I don't know that I'm always the most patient. Um, I think there's always things we feel like people could try or maybe should try. But I have had women that weren't really upset or concerned with their own babies not latching. And it did take a good three days. So a little nerve-wracking, to be honest, when you're the midwife, I think. I don't love that scenario. But Jack Newman is definitely an expert and has worked with way more breastfeeding women than I'm sure I have. Believe it or not. Okay, last little bit here. Um, this was from a seminar, a live seminar, that I went to in Las Vegas, also back in 2012. So true was born at that point he must have been oh whatever I don't know six months old and I remember him kind of like sitting on the floor he was a really fat baby just kind of hanging out with toys while we heard Gail Hart speak for a couple of days it was 18 hours of Gail Hart isn't that cool very cool so um Gail Hart has a great book. Really, you should get it if you don't have it. It's called Research Updates for Midwives by Gail Hart. And if you can figure out how to send her PayPal money and you send me your receipt, I do have permission to send out her book via PDF. But 
There might be easier ways of getting it nowadays. That's just something we had worked out for our students a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not going to read her preeclampsia notes because she really does have lots of good information in that book. Although, okay, why not? Because preeclampsia is such a hot topic, right? Um, here's what we were taught. It's usually first-time moms. It usually progresses <clears throat> with gestation. And it is usually identified by the triad of symptoms. So, right, that usually is a protein in the urine, elevated blood pressure, and swelling. So she's not saying that is correct. She's saying that's what we were taught. But if we use that criteria, then we overdiagnose. And all of the women labeled preeclamptic aren't. All you can say about preeclampsia is that it can only be seen in hindsight when she develops eclampsia. So unless someone actually develops eclampsia, we can't necessarily 100% say. And she cited some studies that um, preeclampsia was not identifiable by symptoms. And she said there might be no symptoms other than maybe not feeling great. So you could literally have preeclampsia and have no protein in your urine, no swelling, and no elevated blood pressure. So there, if you didn't know that, that was worth reading, right? There are some premonitory signs, such as nausea and vomiting. So I do take this seriously. I really do. This stuck in my brain. And, um, you know, I do work with healthy women. So there's that. But knock on wood, I haven't actually had anyone that's had preeclampsia ever. And again, nothing to do with me per se. But if a woman I'm working with has nausea or vomiting into the third trimester or de develops it suddenly, I do pay attention. That is a huge red flag. It is not normal. Um, it does not mean that woman has preeclampsia, but she could. So that can be the only sign. And I think that's really, really worth noting, no matter uh, what you know about birth. Having hypertension without swelling is actually worse. And often women have the absence of risk factors. So uh, this can't turn into a clinical lecture because my brain can't handle it right now. But, you know, having high blood pressure in pregnancy at any point is not preeclampsia necessarily. And most of the time, honestly, it's not. So there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of questions to ask. There's lab work to do. But when someone reports just not feeling well, you may take that even more seriously than someone that actually does have uh, a higher blood pressure. So sort of scary in that way, but I think really um, beneficial information. Let's see. She talks about prevention. So aspirin, um, calcium, the calcium sodium phosphorus theory, and the placental growth theory. So poor placental growth may trigger the inflammation response and preeclampsia may or may not also be an immune disorder. So there's tons of unknowns there. But if you are in our school, uh, you're someone that is up probably on all the theories. So too many to go into here. 
All right, I'm going to land here finally with a couple more Gale Hart notes just because um, they're worth repeating. Whether you're a beginning student or a seasoned midwife, I know I enjoy the repetition of things that we think we know. So this little lecture during this two-day stint in Las Vegas was called postpartum hemorrhage. Do not create any adrenaline. Keep the baby skin to skin. And if the mom's nipples are erect, she has good oxytocin. I did not know that. It's not been a problem for me, but I do have good oxytocin, I'm sure. I have in all my births. Um, give the mom three dates or figs or a sweet drink with honey. She'll have a shorter third stage. And that is gold. Uh, I kind of live by that. So not going to force a date in anyone's mouth. But in my own births, you can see in Dava's birth video that I had a date kind of while she was being born. So something I've utilized in my own life. Uh, if she's bleeding with the placenta in, get contractions. So don't be afraid to stimulate a contraction. And she framed it like this. We're not afraid of separating the placenta during pregnancy just from stimula stimulating a contraction. So that's something I love about Gail. She's all about using your hands for postpartum hemorrhage. But there's also a lot of fear around using your hands because we're also taught we may create a hemorrhage. And, and that is true. But she's saying if someone's bleeding and the placenta is not separated, um, then you want to stimulate a contraction. So if the placenta is not delivered or even separated, it is not a problem if there is no bleeding. Assess her how she looks and her pulse. So if the woman is not bleeding, do not do cord traction. If it's fully separated, just leave it alone and she'll squat it out. And she quoted, Gail quoted, if the placenta is just sitting there, it's not hurting anyone. So true. It will come. You don't need to harass or remind the mom about it because it will create adrenaline. So brilliant. Um, if cord traction really is needed because she's bleeding, it must be with contraction and controlled and steady cord traction. So wait for a contraction uh, or, you know, kind of stimulate one and then you can try cord traction. So don't do manual removals of placentas at home. I think that feels obvious to me, uh, you know, unless I guess you're so out there, so not close to a hospital, and that seems like the smartest choice. Um, but her reason was there could be a partial accreta. So if the placenta is like permanently embedded in there, even partially, you're really going to create a disaster with a manual removal. And I actually know someone here that that happened to. Uh, and I think she really did almost die because the midwife tried that and she did have an accreta. I'm not sure if it was partial or full. And yeah, you can easily bleed to death that way. So something to keep in mind. Hmm, let's see. So if you do give Pitocin, uh, you better be staying around longer than two hours because, um, and she doesn't have this in the notes, but I know uh, people can bleed profusely after the Pitocin kind of wears off. So that's the warning there. If someone gets Pitocin, if you feel you need to give it, you should hang around longer. And if you don't get Pitocin, it's pretty rare for anyone to bleed crazily after a couple of hours. It does happen. It can happen, but not as much as when someone's given that drug.
Let's see what else. Um, if you need to do compression of the uterus, use your hands. You can bind the uterus with a rebozo or even a bath towel. And the herbs may work. So people are all big on like, what herb do you use for postpartum hemorrhage? But if it's like serious, you need your hands and you need to apply pressure and essentially your hands act as the tourniquet. Um, a trickle bleed may happen if the bladder is full. Good to file away. And if someone has is complaining of a ton of afterbirth pains and cramping, of course, that can be normal for some people. But if someone is really uncomfortable, then they probably have clots in there. So you can either do a vigorous massage, as she says, and kind of like plop them out, you know, by doing that on the outside of someone's belly. Or the woman can sort of do that herself and or cough them out. You can also use a bag of ice or a bag of frozen vegetables even on the uterus to contract. So using ice will cause that to happen. And she says the woman is bleeding. She can lick the baby, which of course is an awesome idea. It's much like putting some of the cord in your mouth or a piece of placenta in your mouth. Same hormones there probably with the fluid and the vernix. Um, if you can hold the source of bleeding for five minutes, it will clot. And I think that's probably true for any kind of cut or whatever. Let's see if there's any more. Cool. Well, maybe that's kind of anticlimactic to end with some random postpartum notes from the brilliant Gail Hart, but I think that's good. Give you a little taste of some of the notebooks that now sit in a bin uh, waiting to be carted away on our move. But what a fun trip. What a fun trip down memory lane just with the the actual memories of these conferences and now these brilliant tidbits that make me feel really excited about birth, actually. Uh, maybe I needed to do that, you know, get reinvigorated and rejuvenated about some of these topics. And that's really fun to do. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you check out the IndieBirthMidwiferySchool.org site for more information. We're enrolling all of the time now, so you'll find everything you need there. Also, my Witchery 101 class is going well with signups. We haven't begun yet, so you have tons of time, really. It doesn't start till the first weekend in June, and you can find the info and sign up at IndieBirth.org forward slash Witchery 101. I'd love to have you there. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening and for your support and love. I'm sending it all back to you. Have a great week.